0: There, everybody. Welcome to Gather and Go, the podcast that helps you plan, promote, and lead better trips. I'm your host, Brian Jewell, and I am thrilled that you decided to spend some time with us today. And as always, our promise to you is that we're going to do everything we can to make that investment of your time worth your while. Now, today on the podcast, I have got a great interview for you, especially. If you have ever been interested in taking a group on a cruise. Now, you know, cruising is one of the most popular styles of vacation in America. In fact, it continues to grow and grow in popularity every year. And lots of groups love going on cruises together. Well, if you have never taken a group on a cruise, or even if you have, but are interested in learning how to do more of them, how to do them better, more successfully, you are going to love today's featured conversation because we are talking with Ann Davis of cruises and tours worldwide and has been taking groups on cruises for a long time she has been uh, to many many places on many different lines and she knows exactly how to cruise with groups in a way that is fun and profitable and keeps everybody happy you are going to want to hear this interview whether you're a cruiser or not because i think there is something there for everybody before we talk to Anne though let's get into some travel news you may have missed There are some early indications that travel demand might be starting to soften among American consumers. A Bank of America study of credit card transactions found that per household expenditures on airline transactions fell 4.5% from March of this year to April of this year. Now, Those numbers match similar data from travel agency ticketing platform ARC, which found that although airline sales are still ahead of this time last year, they fell significantly between mid-March and mid-April. Now, in related news, a recent report from Intopia found that in the Western US, occupancy at ski resorts and mountain hotels is down nearly 10% year to date. The slowdown looks especially acute for the summer, uh, with analysts expecting a 13.5% drop in occupancy from May through October. Now, Intopia's analysts note that uh, while average daily rates at these properties are still at historic highs, the drop in occupancy likely indicates that hoteliers have reached a price ceiling. Now, this data all confirms information we shared on the last episode of the podcast, uh, indicating that more than one third of American travelers plan to spend less money on travel this year, quote, because of the high price of travel products. Well, now it's time to get into the road tip segment of our show. This is the part of every episode where we reach into our decades of travel experience and bring you some nuggets of wisdom we've picked up along the way that we think will help you make your trips better and smoother, both for you and your travelers. And since today's episode is about cruising, I want to share a tip uh, that I learned, well, the hard way years and years ago when I went on my first cruise. Now, it was 2006, I had been in travel journalism for about three years, and uh, had done a lot of travel, but most of those trips were very, very busy trips. I would arrive and really be busy from the time I woke up to the time I went to bed for the whole trip. So when I was booked on a cruise to Alaska in 2006, I was genuinely unprepared for how much downtime there would be during that cruise. You see, when you cruise, there's really no way around it. There are going to be a few days where you are at sea. Uh, You're not stopping in ports. You're not seeing anything. And so you've got to find a way to keep yourself entertained. And certainly there are many things on many ships that you can do, but probably not enough to keep you busy from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. Well, I didn't realize this. And so I showed up on that cruise with literally nothing to entertain myself. Uh, I didn't bring a book. I didn't bring a magazine. This was a year before smartphones were invented Uh, And so I didn't even have a device I could browse as much as I loved the cruise. And as much as I loved Alaska, I found myself bored for much more time than I expected. And so what did I do? Well, I discovered that the cruise ship had a library on board and I went to that library. I picked out some books, took them back to my stateroom and I spent downtime on that cruise when we were at sea, when I couldn't find much else to do, I spent it reading and to my surprise, I actually really enjoyed a couple of those books I found in the cruise ship library. Now, my tip for you today is not necessarily to hit the ship library when you're on a, on a cruise, although that's certainly something you can do. My tip is this. When you're going on a cruise, you need to be prepared for downtime. You can enjoy the amenities, the shows, the fun things to do on the ship. Certainly, there are activities you can take part in, but there's always going to be some downtime, and your trip will be better if you show up with a plan for that downtime. Now, maybe your plan is to take a nap. That's awesome. Maybe your plan is to sit by the pool, to spend some time with loved ones. That's also great. But whatever it is, you need to come with a plan. So for me, that means whenever I go on vacation, whenever I go on a trip where I know I'm gonna have a significant amount of free time, I bring books with me. In fact, I have a reading list of books that I can't wait to get to. I'm just waiting for the right trip to have time to read them. Uh, now you might be thinking well you know we have smartphones we have devices today and i can always keep myself entertained uh, by scrolling a social feed by reading the news well i got a couple of answers for you to to that point number one internet connections on cruise ships can be either very unreliable or very expensive Uh, when you're at sea of course you're not going to have your uh, convenient 5g connection you've got to rely on the ship's wi-fi if You buy the Wi-Fi package and those can get really expensive and they're still not necessarily as reliable as a good solid connection on land. But even if you do have a good Wi-Fi connection, do you really want to spend your vacation at sea scrolling social media? I don't think you do. So be prepared. Bring a book, bring a magazine, bring a friend, bring your bathing suit, bring a plan for that downtime. Make the most of your cruise. Well, before we move on, I want to share just a little bit of news from us. It has been one year since the launch of Gather and Go. That's right. We are celebrating the one year anniversary of our podcast. It's been an absolute blast. And boy, am I grateful to all of you who have become part of our online travel tribe and subscribed to the show. Now, I thought it would be interesting to look back at uh, our top episodes from the last year. These are the episodes that have been the most listened to, and uh, give you some insight on what you and your fellow travel planners and enthusiasts have been listening to most. So I'm going to give you a quick rundown of our top five episodes from our first year. And as always, you're going to find links to these episodes in the show notes for this episode. So let's get started. Number five most popular episode was Smarter Tech for Better Trips with Ted Clements. You'll find that one in February of this year. Uh, Episode number four troubleshooting travel problems with Christopher Elliott. Great conversation with a well-respected travel consumer advocate from November of 2022. Top episode number three, the wide world of sports travel with Jay Smith. Now that was an episode from March of this year. And all I can say is you guys must really enjoy sports or be curious about sports travel because this episode was really popular. Our number two most popular episode was Teaching Tour Directors with Ted Bravo's. That's right, Ted is the uh, director of the International Tour Management Institute, and we talked all about how he trains tour directors and how you can use some of those same concepts to lead better trips yourself. And finally, the most popular episode from our first year, was Understanding Faith-Based Travel with Eddie Lutz from the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. Uh, Eddie gave us tons of great insight about this a fast-growing segment of the tourism industry in an episode that first aired back in August. You won't want to miss that one if you haven't heard it already. Well, that's it for news from us. It's about time for us to get into our featured conversation with Ann Davis. Now, uh, as always, you don't need to worry about taking notes here because, well, I am taking notes for you. Uh, You are going to find some of the most important information that comes up in this interview uh, in the wrap-up at the end and also in the show notes, so you don't have to worry about stopping to take notes. You can just listen and enjoy, and I'll make sure to hook you up with all the resources you need. Now, I want to encourage you, before we get started, to stick around to the end of the interview, because once we finish with Anne, I'm going to talk about uh, an issue that I have been seeing in travel that uh, is an important issue and something that all of us, In tourism should be wary of and that is politics and the weaponization of travel that's going to be today's hot minute after our featured conversation you won't want to miss that we will be right back with Ann Davis all right everybody I want to take a minute to tell you about Corbin Kentucky home to adventure history and hospitality nestled in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains in southeastern Kentucky And conveniently located off Interstate 75 by the shores of the pristine Laurel Lake, Corbin is the perfect adventure destination. It's home to Cumberland Falls and the only moonbow in the Western Hemisphere. Corbin is also the birthplace of KFC. You can still eat where it all began and tour the -the state-of-the-art museum to learn the unique history of Colonel Sanders. Stop by Sanders Park and take a selfie with a bronze statue of the colonel Then spend a day enjoying the races at Cumberland Run, Corbin's new thoroughbred harness racetrack. And if you're a food lover, Corbin is definitely the place for you. Downtown is full of locally owned restaurants, not to mention lots of great shopping. When you bring your travelers, you'll find a warm welcome because Corbin loves company. To learn more, follow the Corbin Tourism and Convention Commission on Facebook or visit CorbinKYTourism.com. All right, everybody, my guest today is the president of Cruises and Tours Worldwide, a company she started in 1981. She's traveled to 49 states and 58 countries. She's been on more cruises than she can count and loves sharing her travel experiences with others by leading tours and giving travel presentations. She's a certified tour professional and has served for five years on the board of directors of the National Tour Association. And Davis, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Brian. It's great to be here.
0: It is so great to have you. I'm not going to uh, embarrass either of us by telling our listeners how long we have known each other. <laughs> <laughs> how long we have we have been in travel together. Uh, 1981. That is quite an admirable career. I would love to know what happened in 1981 that got you into travel as a professional.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I get that question a lot, and it's a fun little story to tell. I had graduated from college back in the late 70s and uh, ended up getting a job with the City of St. Louis Board of Education. They uh, had received funding to build brand new buildings onto the back of 14 of the elementary schools. And I was hired at one of those schools to help um, start up programming for people in the community whose needs weren't being met K through A, K through 12. So they had, you know, they had the, the kindergarten through 12th grade. But what else can we do to help people in the community, especially in terms of education? So, uh, I was hired uh, to help start up some programs, including parenting programs, uh, preschool program, an after-school program for teenagers. We also started a senior citizen program, and I just really liked that the best. Um, I ended up... You know, being put in charge of that program. And I planned educational speakers for the seniors. Um, we did exercise classes. I remember putting a um, Barry Manilow um, cassette tape into a tape recorder <laughs> and doing like little simple exercises and stretching with them. Um, you know, I p- planned picnics and parties and. The members started um, asking me if I would plan trips for the group. So I didn't know anything about professional tour operators. I just started planning the trips myself. I started with day trips and we used one of the school buses, you know, for that. But then they said they wanted to go to Branson and they wanted to go to the Wisconsin Dells and they wanted to go to Kansas City. So I started planning just making uh, hiring a motor coach for those trips and uh, making all the arrangements myself. And I just found that I had a knack for it. Um, then they, the members started asking me, hey, would you set up a trip for my church group? Mm. And I got several requests like that. And um, the rest is kind of history. I left my position with the school and decided to start my own business. So,
0: so somewhere along the way, uh, either you took a cruise on your own or, or somebody asked you to book a cruise for their group. Can you think back to your first cruise experience and kind of, you know, recall what that was like?
1: Yeah. So it was very memorable. Uh, My husband and I went with my parents on a Caribbean cruise in the 70s. My parents used to love to cruise. But, you know, it was pretty expensive back then. And they had five kids. So they would go when they had like their 15th or 20th or 25th wedding anniversary. It was a special occasion. Mm. But uh, they uh, asked us if we'd like to go on a cruise with them. As I said, it was kind of in the late 70s. And I quickly found out how much there was to love about cruises. I mean, who doesn't like to sit down every evening at a beautifully set table and be waited on and choose from the menu, you know, whatever it was you wanted to eat. I remember just first standing by myself at the rail of the ship one day, just looking out and all you could see was water mm-hmm. and just the magic of that. Um, And I will never forget the first port we came to was St. Thomas and woke up in the morning and pulled back the curtain from my little window and saw the bluest water I had ever seen. Um, The white sailboats, the blue sky, it was just all magical. And um, just getting off the ship and and seeing the the different ports and learning about the cultures of those people living on the islands it was I was hooked I was hooked after my first cruise
0: for sure yeah that's wonderful so one of the reasons uh, that I really wanted to talk to you is that you have planned a lot of land tours for clients and you've planned a lot of cruises for clients and I I think a lot of our listeners have a lot of experience, you know, like you said, booking a motor coach, putting an itinerary together and and doing the simple land tour, but they maybe haven't crossed into cruising. So I would love for you to kind of bridge that gap, you know, because you, you know, both sides of, of the industry so well. So I'm interested for your take on, you know, how planning a cruise for a group is similar to planning a land tour for a group and, you know, maybe how is it different as well?
1: Okay. Well, the only thing that's similar is really booking the air and the ground transportation Mm -hmm. for the group. Um, And if the group wants to include any shore excursions during the course of their cruise just for their group private ones, you know, that would be set up similarly to how a land tour is done. But that's about all. I mean, when it comes to the actual cruise portion of it, um, there are a lot of differences. So, once it's determined, you know, what cruise they're going to take on what ship and where the itinerary and all that, as far as the planning is concerned, we have to then go to the group department with the cruise line. We have to um, block cabin space, and that is usually, um, you know, different categories they're called where there might be an in inside cabins ocean view cabins with the window balcony cabins etc we get a block of each so that the group leader has um, a variety of stateroom types to um, sell as reservations come in we have to book the cabins uh, book the people in the cabin or stateroom i'll use that that word interchangeably Mm -hmm. Um, you know, in the category that they want. And we have to keep a lot of stuff in mind. People want to be as close to midship as possible, for instance, Mm. because that's going to be the most stable part of the ship. Mm. I mean, with today's stabilizers, it's not terrible if you're in the front of the ship or the back, but you are going to have a smoother ride when you're in the middle. Less motion, you know, uh, sickness issues if you can be close to midship. And it always um, is more accessible to things as well. There's not going to be as much walking. Yeah. We also keep in mind um, about the placement of the stateroom when it comes to noise levels. Mm. You know, if you are in a stateroom that's underneath the, the restaurant, the kitchen, the buffet, whatever, where there's a hard floor above you. And at three o'clock in the morning, they're going to be rolling carts, you know, mm-hmm. with food on. Yeah. Um, so there's different things that we keep in mind. Uh, when we book those staterooms. And then, you know, we have to deal with the cruise line. We uh, have a partner advocate uh, with the cruise line that we work with to arrange the dining for the group if they're all uh, on a more traditional cruise where they're all sitting together. Uh, Most of our groups like being on the first dining, which is around 6 o'clock, They we have to send a manifest with who you know who to put at which table. Of course, we work with the group leaders um, in that regard because they know the people better than we do. Um, So, there's just a lot of different things. If the group wants a private cocktail party, if they want to hold a meeting Mm. while they're on board, we work with different people with the cruise line to make all that happen.
0: Yeah, so the the list of things that you just named uh, to me, as someone who doesn't do it every day. It's almost dizzying. There's a whole (laughs) lot involved there. Would I be right in saying it's probably smart for anybody uh, who is maybe just a volunteer group leader um, to look for help in doing this rather than trying to get on some random cruise lines website and navigate all this by themselves?
1: Absolutely. 100%. They should use a professional, not just for the planning purposes, but also for selecting the right cruise that fits that group. Mm. Um, You know, you'll have cruises that are ultra luxury cruises that are very traditional type of a setup where some, you know, you All go to dinner at six o'clock, and then you all go to the show after the dinner, and you're kind of moving around on the ship schedule. You've got other cruise lines that uh, have a lot more options as far as restaurants and um, shows and activities. Uh, You've got some that have, you know, some cruise lines that attract. Young people, when there's going to be a lot of partying involved, you know, there's just so much with the selection and the planning that um, using a professional tour operator is really the way to go. And I'll I'll just give a little plug, too. There's a big difference between travel agent and tour operator. Mm. And you can go to a travel agent and you can work with them to book a cruise and get all that lined up. But if you're using a group tour operator, someone who only deals with groups, they're going to have a lot more insight into how to make the experience the best it can be.
0: Mm, yeah, that's really good to know. So there are so many cruise companies. I mean, I could probably name seven, eight, nine well-known cruise brands. Uh, you can cruise to basically every continent in the world, every ocean, every sea. So, you know, if a, if a travel planner has people in their group who are saying, hey, what if we took a cruise? How should that planner start narrowing the field, start kind of identifying the right destinations, kind of figuring out which tour companies or, or, or which cruise companies fit them best? What, what is step one for that person who all they know is, okay, my people want a cruise. Now, what do I do?
1: We have to consider the demographic first of the group. Mm. You know, we'll work with the group leader to say, tell, tell me about your group. You know are they uh, are they older people are they active older people? you know what is it that you think they would like and then we let them know why we're asking that question because the different um, types of cruise lines uh, the various cruise lines offer different types of cruises as I mentioned before. Uh, You know, we have some that are really attracted to some groups that are really attracted to having alcohol included Mm -hmm. as they do with some. So, there's just so many differences. Do the group want to stay together pretty much, you know, in the evenings? Do they want to dine together as a group? Do they want to have more flexibility and run around and experience all kinds of different restaurants, you know, on their own? Usually, if people are going as a group, they want to stay with the group. And mm-hmm. so they want to. They do want to have the opportunity, at least the option of dining together, um, but maybe some flexibility about um, not having to do that every night. Um, so you know, there's just different things that we need to know about the group. You know, is it um, important to them that there's a casino on board? Mm-hmm. Do they want um, to have excursions included or not? You know, does it make a difference to them in how large the ship is? There are ships that are very small. There are some that are huge, yeah. you know. And, um, of course, the larger ones offer so much more in terms of choices uh, for dining and entertainment and shopping and all of that. But, you know, then there's also some more walking involved, too. Yeah. And more they're with more people. So... It's a matter of getting to know the client, understanding their customers, and as far as you know, destinations are concerned. Are they looking for a winter cruise where they might think about the Caribbean or Hawaii? Do they want to do, you know, a summer cruise that might be taking them to um, Alaska or maybe a fall foliage cruise? So, destinations, ships, you know. Um, there's just so many choices that there has to be a good conversation at the outset to make sure that we're working together with the group leader to make sure the right. it's going to be a right fit for their group.
0: Now, you mentioned um, levels of service or different types of cabins. Uh, I assume most cruise lines have a variety of those options. What do you find works well with groups? Does it does it work for a group leader to say, you know what, I'm picking one level of service for all my people so that everybody has the same experience? Or are they saying, we want to find ways to let each individual customer or couple or family pick the cabin level that's right for them? And, and, and how does that all work out practically?
1: Well, yes, all cruise lines have different levels of staterooms or cabins. An inside stateroom with no window, as I mentioned, ocean view, balcony, a mini suite, a suite. But unless you're talking about a suite, it's the same level of service mm. that people are going to get. So they'll what we'll do is, again, just block several inside ocean view and balcony staterooms. Of course, they're all priced differently. Which is a little different than on a land tour, where everybody's paying the same price. Yeah, um, and of course that's clearly laid out on the the brochures. People understand they're going to pay more for a balcony, and that's definitely the most popular of staterooms now. Mm. Um, that's what people want. For instance, we'll hold maybe twenty balconies and three inside cabins. Oh for wow! Yeah, they really want the balconies but the service level is the same unless you book into a suite at which point you're often going to dine in a different restaurant Mm. than the other people. There's a, you know, like a special restaurant that has a higher end menu and you can eat there for breakfast, lunch, and dinner in that one special, smaller restaurant. Um, if you're in a suite, but beyond that, Everything else, all levels of service are the same.
0: So I can remember uh, my first cruise, which was probably about 2005. um, And I feel like that was the tail end of an era where there was a little bit of stuffiness in cruising. I remember the documents I got before the trip saying You're going to have this many uh, semi-formal nights and there's going to be at least one formal night, which is, you know, like black tie optional. And of course, I did not buy a tux or that cruise. But um, how much is that still going on in cruising? And uh, if it is, how much of it is, you know, sort of optional at uh, the traveler's discretion?
1: Oh, my gosh. It's changed so much from that first cruise I went on in the 70s. Definitely. My dad used to take his tuxedo. It was white. I remember he used to pack up his uh, white tuxedo and you never saw so many long gowns and so many sequins in your life when we were cruising in the 70s and the 80s. And all the women, I mean, they brought an outfit for everything, even on board casual. You know, it was very upscale Country club casual, making sure the shoes in the bag matched, you know. Um, That shows how old I am. Mm. But um, as our society has become so much more relaxed, so has the uh, dress code on ships. They've really moved with, you know, the societal changes. And um, even on some of the most luxurious ships, uh, men are often allowed to wear nice jeans. Mm. They'll call them designer jeans, but as long as they don't have any holes in them, they are allowed to wear jeans. As long as they have a collared shirt and they have closed-toed shoes, the men, the women can wear sandals, but the men have to wear closed toe shoes uh, and a collared shirt. Men no longer have to bring even a jacket and tie uh, on a cruise if they don't want to. What they do now is they say um, they'll say in the the daily newsletter something like you know this evening is um, um, the I forget what they call it, but like photography night where Mm -hmm. they're going to have the photographers out taking pictures. So if you'd like to wear your finest attire tonight's the night, you know, to do that. They give little clues as to, you know, how people might dress. But you might be at a table where someone next to you is all dolled up and the other person on the other side of you has on nice jeans and a top. So it's really a mixed bag. But more and more people are dressing much more casually uh, on a ship. And you talk about rigidity and stuffiness. Um, I think it applies not just to uh, attire, but also the whole feeling on the ships. Now is just much more relaxed. Um, you there's there's more shows to choose from, more restaurants to choose from. Everybody can kind of do their thing, and uh, I think that's what society wants. And That's the way it is.
0: Yeah. So talk to me about how you manage that wide menu of choices uh, in the context of a group. Because, you know, on land, groups are going to eat many of their meals together. They're going to be doing almost all the same activities together on a tour. Uh, When you plan a, a trip for a group, to what extent are you booking the group together, let's say, on shore excursions versus letting them choose their own excursions once they're on board. Uh, you know, how much are you trying to book them all into the dining room together versus saying, hey, you know what, tonight, guys, everybody go to the you know specialty restaurant or the buffet or, you know, room service or whatever, whatever sounds good to you. How do you keep a good group experience when you're in a place that has so many options?
1: That's a great question. And, you know, there was a learning curve with us, uh, I'd say, about five to ten years ago when these cruise ships started offering more options. You know, how do you keep the group together as much as the group leader wants to keep them together? Um, because if you're going as a group, if you've signed up to go with a the group, they want to be with the group. You know, otherwise yeah. they could sign up for a, a cruise on their own, but they want the camaraderie of a group, especially with so many women traveling, you know, by themselves. Mm-hmm. So, um, what we do is reserve space at the first dining seating. And some cruise lines that don't have first dining seating, we will reserve a certain time. Usually it's 5.30, 6 o'clock. And we have tables in a particular area just for our group. So every night, if people would like to, they can enter the dining room at 6 o'clock. They can go to their table, see everybody in their group, and dine with them. But if they choose that night, they don't feel like getting showered and dressed for dinner or being around people. They just want to go up to the buffet, get something to eat, and go to their stateroom. They don't have to show up. Um, they can do what they want to do, or if they want to go to a specialty restaurant that night, um, they'll do that. So no longer can you expect that everyone is going to show up every night. They they have the choice. The people have the choice. But the group leader has set it up so that if they want to be together, this is where they can meet, uh, meet up. And so I think it works out quite well. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, as far as shore excursions, it really depends on the destination is what we advise our group leaders. If they're doing a Caribbean cruise, there are so many people that maybe have already been to the ports or all they want to do is go to the beach or all they want to do is shop that we recommend on Caribbean cruises that you just let people choose what they want to do. Alaska is another one because we do a land tour before the cruise and the land tour includes things like, you know, dog sledding and salmon bake and things of that nature. So when they get on the cruise, there are other things that they might want to pick from Um, as a group, they already did a lot of things together. Um, but on the cruise, they might want to really splurge and spend $400 to take a helicopter up onto the top of Mendenhall Glacier, or they might want to go salmon or halibut fishing, you know, do deep sea fishing. So we leave people pretty much on their own, but then you have, um, Cruises, let's say, for instance, a Canada and New England cruise, where when you go to Halifax, everybody wants to go to Peggy's Cove. It's this iconic, you know, rocky coastline with the lighthouse, and everyone wants to go there. And they also want to learn about Halifax and its history. So we'll include an excursion, or at least we'll recommend to. Uh, The group leader, you know, in Halifax, how about if we include something private just for your group? Same thing in Bar Harbor, Maine. Everybody wants to go to Acadia National Park. So we'll do a half day tour for the entire group so that they can be together. So whether it's, you know, wherever they're going, Hawaii, or if they're going to the Mediterranean, um, we allow the group leader to decide. You know, sometimes. The group leader will say, um, "I want the price of this trip to be as low as it possibly can," or "I want to include." On the other hand, I want to include a shore excursion at least every other day. Hmm. You know, so we work with them to see, you know, what their their desires are.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned cost because um, I think for people who haven't done this before with a group, that is a a huge question mark. They kind of have no idea. You know, maybe if you've done a lot of land tours, you, you know what the range is per person per day, about what it's going to cost, you know, what your motor coach charter is going to be, what your target cost is for hotels and meals and that sort of thing. So how does the cost of cruising compare to the cost of land tours? Can it be done kind of in a similar zone, or do people need to, you know, just go to a completely different place budget-wise and prepare their customers for that?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. And we're often asked that question by our group leaders, especially when it comes to places like Alaska and Hawaii, where, you know, you could do a land tour or you could do a cruise. And what is the advantage to each of those and how are they going to uh, differ in price? And the, the short answer is it depends. <laughs> <laughs> um you know, we haven't talked about river cruising yet, but they river cruising is always going to be expensive. They're mm. a good value, but they're going to be expensive. Um, so, I'm going to kind of compare a large ship, a typical large celebrity Norwegian cruise line large ship to land. And let's talk about Hawaii for a minute. Mm-hmm. So... In Hawaii, the cruise, you know, at first, kind of looks like a good value and when you look at the pricing. And um, as well, we all know that cruising is a lot more relaxing Mm -hmm. than a land trip. So, the cruise, however does not include any of your shore excursions. And when you get off the ship in Hawaii, if you really want to see Hawaii, you need to have a shore excursion. You just don't get off the ship and walk around and go in the gift shops. You know, it's not that kind of a place. So you have to consider, you know, on a land tour, uh, honestly, I've done both many times. You're going to learn a lot more and you're going to see a lot more in Hawaii if you're in a land tour. Hmm. It's not as easy because you're flying from island to island. Mm. and That takes time and energy going in and out of different hotels and airports. But you're going to learn more and experience more. As far as cost goes, it's all going to be included. You know, mm. all of your sightseeing is included. Um, I would say that whether you're doing a cruise or you're doing a land tour, If you do the cruise and you start adding in a budget for some sightseeing, they're going to be somewhat comparably priced. Interesting. Yeah. So there's different reasons to choose whether or not you want to do a land tour. Alaska is the same thing. You know, should we do a land tour or should we do a short land tour and then do a cruise? Typically, they're going to come out to be very similar in pricing.
0: Uh, you mentioned sometimes you'll do a couple days, um, maybe pre or post on a on a cruise. I remember before the pandemic, seeing uh, some companies that would do you know a week on land and then a week on a cruise and stuff. Number one, that just seems like forever to be traveling anywhere. But just from a logistics and, and maybe a cost point of view, is it feasible to try to you know stack land and uh, and cruise together, or does it make more sense just to to look at pre and post extensions?
1: Pre and post are really a good idea since it does not, and we always do pre, uh, 99% of the time we do pre, people like to get the land part over with and then get on the (laughs) ship and relax, right? Um, Because being on land is a little harder. Um, So when we go to the Mediterranean, for instance, let's say the ship leaves out of Rome, but it never visits Rome. It doesn't have time in Rome. And so we'll go into Rome for two or three nights ahead of time. And we'll do a package there. We've done that like in Copenhagen and in um, Barcelona. Definitely in Alaska, we always recommend doing a land tour prior to getting on the ship. Even in Hawaii, we do two or three nights in Honolulu so that they get to see stuff in Honolulu because the cruise ship leaves from there. It doesn't spend any time you know, during the cruise there. Yeah. So that makes um, a lot of sense. That way you're not getting the trip to be too long and too expensive.
0: So uh, where is the best place for people to find you, Anne, and your company and uh, to to reach out to you if they want to know more or maybe look at working with you?
1: Yeah, we would love that, actually. Um, We are located in St. Louis, but we have groups all around the Midwest and the South that we work with. Um, we We have an 800 number which is 800-435-2710, 800-435-2710. They can email me directly, which would be awesome. I'd love to hear from them. My email address is anne, A-N-N-E, at ctw, charliethomaswilliam-us.com. So those are the best ways to contact us. We'd love to talk to them.
0: Well, before we let you go, we have uh, some just for fun questions we ask everybody. So so first of all, when you travel, do you like a window seat or an aisle seat?
1: I like a window, but I'm often traveling with my husband and he insists on an aisle. (laughs) So it's a good thing that I like the window. (laughs) And sometimes we will book an aisle and a window and leave the middle seat empty, hoping that no one (laughs) wants to sit there.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So uh, what's something that is always in your carry-on that you wouldn't travel without?
1: Okay. Well, this is actually something that's kind of new. Um, I don't drink coffee. I only drink espresso Mm. and I do not like getting caught escorting a trip and there's no place I can get espresso based drink around. So I have a little jar of instant espresso. (laughs) (laughs) It's like an expensive brand. My husband gave it to me for Christmas. That's one thing I take with me so I can be sure to have my espresso in the morning. (laughs) You can't
0: mess around with caffeine. You got to get the right stuff. (laughs) So if you had a free airline pass and a week with nothing else to do, where do you think you'd head next? Oh my gosh.
1: The first thing that comes to mind is Switzerland. Mm -hmm. Um, I have um, just kind of skirted that country briefly. Um, and I would like to go there and just spend some time, do some hiking and sightseeing and yeah. So that's what I'd say.
0: Uh, That sounds like a plan to me for sure. So the last question is, uh, what is something you have seen or done on the road that you wish you could go back and experience again with somebody you love?
1: Okay. So can I just change that a little bit because someone I love was with me, Oh, cool. but I would love to do it again. Uh, My husband and I took a group on a cruise around French Polynesia, Mm -hmm. you know, Tahiti and Bora Bora, Morea, Riotan. And we did what is known as a drift snorkel, where you uh, have your snorkel gear and your little life vest on and you put your face down in the water And the water just carries you right on top of all this beautiful, these beautiful coral formations and everything. The water is only like 18 inches deep. It's not deep. You feel like you're going to scrape yourself on this stuff, but you don't. And for about a mile, you just drift. I was so nervous the first time I did it because I didn't know what to expect. But I got out of the water and I ran a mile back. (laughs) (laughs) just to do it again. Oh, wow. And that is something that um, I would love to share with, um, you know, people I love. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, that sounds wonderful. Well, Ann Davis, it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Oh, it really was my pleasure, Brian, and great to see you again.
0: Well, I sure hope you enjoyed that conversation with Ann Davis as much as I did. It is always a delight to get to talk to her and learn from her. And I want to take a minute to hit a couple of things that she said that I think are relevant to all of us, whether you are planning cruises for groups or tours for groups or any other kind of travel, because I think uh, there was wisdom here that we can apply across the board. Now, when she was talking about what it takes to book a group cruise Anne said, there's a big difference between a travel agent and a tour operator. If you're working with a tour operator that only deals with groups, they're going to have a lot more insight into how to make the experience the best it can be. Now, Anne said this in the context of cruises and it's absolutely true there, but I believe this is also true in any kind of group vacation. I love travel agents, they're great. Many travel agents listen to this show, but if you want to plan the best experience for your travelers, You really do need to lean on the expertise of people who focus 100% on group travel. They know uh, who to call. They know how to set up the best exclusive experiences. They know how to deliver value that uh, ordinary travel agents and volunteer travel planners may not have access to. So a huge tip there, no matter what kind of trip you're planning, really lean on the expertise of professional tour operators. Now, we also talked about uh, this sort of uh, conventional wisdom that a cruise vacation tends to be pretty rigid, a little bit stuffy, a little bit formal. Here's what Anne had to say about the state of cruises today. She said, the whole feeling on ships now is much more relaxed. There are more shows to choose from, more restaurants to choose from. Everybody can do their own thing. And I think that's what society wants. She went on to say, no longer can you expect that everyone is gonna show up every night. People have the choice. Now, this is certainly true in cruising, but I believe, again, this is true across the spectrum of group travel experiences. Whether you are on land, on a cruise ship, on a train, any other way you might travel, gone are the days when you can expect that everyone in your group is going to want to show up for every item in your program. So instead of trying to work these very rigid, very traditional itineraries, maybe it's time to do what the cruise lines have done, and find ways to offer more flexibility, more choice, more restaurants, because as Anne said, that's what society wants. Great stuff there from Anne Davis. Okay, so earlier in the show, I promised you that we would spend a little bit of time talking about something that is actually a really important issue, and that is the weaponization of travel. Uh, You may have seen earlier uh, this month that uh, the NAACP released A travel advisory for the state of Florida urging people of color not to travel to Florida. Uh, That's in response to some educational policy decisions made by uh, the leadership there in Florida. Well, uh, weaponization of travel is a big issue, and we're going to tackle it today in the hot minute. Yeah, that's right. The hot minute is the portion of the show where I take 60 seconds to give you my unfiltered thoughts on an issue impacting tourism every day and today we're going to talk all about politics and the weaponization of tourism and what we can do about it so let's put 60 seconds on the clock and get into it this florida travel advisory is a part of a growing trend of weaponizing travel for political ends we've seen boycotts uh, state government travel bans and similar kinds of pressure tactics for several years now And regardless of where you fall on the political spectrum or what you think of controversial policy decisions, I hope you can agree with me on this. The weaponization of travel is a terrible thing, and it has to stop. You know, to start with, travel bans and boycotts aren't effective. None of them to date have been successful in overturning a state government policy. And what's worse, The people who actually suffer from boycotts aren't political elites, but frontline service workers and small hospitality entrepreneurs who have nothing to do with the policies in question. In this era of extreme division, travel is one of the few things that actually brings Americans closer together, which means that we need to encourage more of it, not less. That's how I see it anyway. And as always, you are welcome to disagree with me and we can still be friends. And hey, whether you agree or disagree or have other thoughts or questions, I would love to hear from you. You can reach me directly at podcast at grouptravelleader.com. I read every email that comes into that address, and I would love to hear what you think of the show, hear your ideas, your thoughts or questions. And you never know, your thoughts or questions might just be the topic of the next hot minute. And hey, while you're in the mood to give us some feedback, would you do me a big favor? Go to your favorite podcasting app, Find Gather and Go, hit that follow or subscribe button so that you get the next episode automatically. And while you're there, give us a rating, leave a review. That is a big help. And my thanks goes to everyone who has subscribed and reviewed the show so far. My thanks as well to Ann Davis for joining us today. On the next episode of Gather and Go, I'm going to bring you a fascinating conversation with Todd Powell of Vacations by Rail, who is going to tell us all about what it's like to take a great vacation across the United States or across Europe on a train and why you should consider doing the same for your travelers. You won't want to miss that. Until then though, remember this, at the end of the day, we are all on this trip together. So let's make it a good one. See you next time on Gather and Go. Gather and Go is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Jewell. Our publisher is Mac Lacey. Donya Simmons is our creative director. Ashley Ricks is our Circulation Manager and Graphic Designer. Our sales team is Kyle Anderson and Bryce Wilson. To advertise on the podcast, call Kyle or Bryce at 859-253-0455. Gather and Go is a production of the Group Travel Leader. For more information on our podcast, magazines, and events, visit us online at grouptravelleader.com.